Welcome back to the Life Recovery Podcast with me, Serena Hussein. Welcome back, listeners on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, SoundCloud, wherever you are, and welcome YouTube. So in this episode, I'm going to be talking about waiting room friends. Well, the kinds of friends that um, you can't necessarily rely on, termed, coined by author Lane Moore in her book How to Be Alone. Lane is an award-winning comedian, writer, actor, musician. Um, Now this book has been described as a must-read for anyone whose childhood still feels unresolved, who spends more time pretending to have friends online than feeling close to anyone in real life. Someone who tries to have genuine deep conversations in a room full of people who'd rather you not. And above all, it's a book for anyone who desperately wants to feel less alone and a little bit more connected. She says things like, this is a book for people who are pretending to have friends online than feeling close to anyone in real life. Isn't that the reality of life right now? How do we learn about real connection and who is worthy of real connection? I'm going to read you some excerpts that I have taken from the book. Um, She describes different types of friends and what she calls waiting room friends. Um, Let's read. So she says, I have some waiting room friends. My term for people whom I'm in the process of evaluating to see if they are trustworthy, as well as people who've already been through that process but have proven unsafe at various points, which means I'm still trying to determine their long term eligibility for the role of my friend. She says, God, even reading that exhausts me. No wonder the idea of getting close to people makes me sleepy. People who know me might be tempted to be like, this bitch talks about being alone, but there are like 30 people in her phone. But but here's why my brain feels like that's nothing. Every single one of those people falls into one of the following categories, except for my therapist, who is so great that I recently described her to someone as my only friend and this was the saddest fucking thing ever. Still, I have spent most of my life not having a therapist at all, so I'm so grateful I have one now. Anyway, back to the categories. I don't know them well enough to tell them when things are really bad. We're talking about waiting room friends. They've told me to reach out when things are really bad and then I've told them when things are really bad and they didn't write back, and it gutted me. They've told me to reach out, reply when I reach out, but don't really seem to have the empathy, bandwidth, or know-how to to respond in a way that feels comforting to me, so I don't do it anymore. They are selectively helpful, so every time I reach out, I never know if I'll be helped or disappointed. And it feels easier to just stop trying. They are super helpful, but I feel like there's an unspoken time limit in terms of how much I can talk about how hard things are. So I usually keep it to about three texts and then change the subject. 
back to them and how I can help them through their day. And they don't challenge me when I do this and it feels awful. They've been really, really wonderful and helpful before, but I don't want to bother them again by reaching out another time. Work contacts. And the last one is people who are fighting their own gigantic battles and are therefore either too triggering or send me into a spiral where I focus all the energy I should be using on myself to help them survive. With these people, I always leave the conversation feeling used and drained. To be fair, they did not ask me to turn myself inside out to help them. But my brain is so hardwired to kill myself to let someone else live. Someone who is actually not dying at all. And give them the blood I need to survive when they've at no point suggested they needed so much as a drop. That I pour mine out into their veins. And since they absolutely did not need it, it overflows, dripping onto the floor, helping no one. I feel like we need to take a pause after that. I'm sure like me, I'm sure like me, you could, you, you could, you could have, you thought of a good few friends in quotation marks that fit into more than one of those categories. She reflects on getting attached to friends as well, and we've all been there. Either clinginess with friends or dismissiveness with them. And she talks about attachment with friends, and it's something that I've spoken about before. About how our attachment patterns affect our relationships, not just our sort of intimate romantic relationships. When you don't have the affection and or attachment you should have had at home... It's totally natural that you'd quickly become someone who's obsessed with friendships. Kids with stable home lives can make friends in that casual take them or leave them way, but you, poor you, will want to make friends in a desperate gasping for air while drowning kind of way. And so did I. I've been reading, I've been getting stuck into this book because I've been exploring the subject of solitude and the title of the book, um, How to Be Alone, is what kind of pulled me into wanting to pick it up. In fact, it's the same title for another book that I'm also reading. But it was interesting, I did not expect to get into friendship and attachment, but actually relationships are a really important part um, to sort of understand or explore how to be alone. Um, I think it's a really difficult time right now, the kind of climate we're in, where you're not able to discern and sort of notice what real connection is. And when she says right from the top, you know, pretending to have friends online and feeling close to anyone in real life makes me so, so grateful. I grew up um, during an era of no social media, but as a podcaster and somebody with the platform that I have, I use social media so much now that I easily, easily get stuck in and forget, forget monitoring how much screen time I'm having. I'm having a lot of screen time because... So much of my work depends on screen time. 
but I think it's really interesting to have um, these kinds of conversations and um, reviews and to reflect on how we are with the people we are sort of around when we're not um, sort of busy with our phones or busy being alone and what that interaction is like because actually it can sometimes compound what we're feeling alone rather than help you know that sort of saying I'd rather be in a in a room alone than in a room full of people that I don't feel comfortable with or connected to and I think that whilst that's true there are times when I'd rather just not be alone in a room um I wouldn't mind sitting in a cafe just so I can kind of observe people. I don't necessarily have to be with someone. But this sort of understanding and exploration of being alone is very much um, connected to how we are with others. Um, I recently have been speaking more on my platform about being a creative um, and and making sure that you have the right connections in order to foster that creativity and not take anything away from it, as well as explore things internally that could be sabotaging our creativity. And I think it's really interesting when she talks about friends who drain and people who drain you because their sort of pain and their sort of thoughts and ideas are so immediate and can be so triggering. And what the impact of people like this is on us is so, so important to recognize so that we don't continue in these friendships because we consider ourselves or deem ourselves to be a ride or die friend. Um. As an example, many, many talk of trying to get something started and up and running, whether it's a business or just trying to keep momentum going. And I wonder about that kind of energy that sort of they surround themselves with and if they're regulating it. I mean, no one is perfect and I'm by no means and perfect. Um, I could be potentially draining for somebody, for a friend, depending on sort of the phase I'm going through. But when we are wanting to really build something or get something going or to kickstart or sustain even more importantly sustain something um how we um are um engaging with others and how they are engaging with us is so important so rather than putting a friendship or a commitment to friendship um uh, before our sort of creative sustainability we need to probably spend a little bit more time on learning how to be alone because then you can discern who's a waiting room friend and who's and who who's actually more of a sincere one that's not going to sort of who, who doesn't fit into any of those categories that Lane Moore mentions in this room that could have a detrimental effect on ourselves our dreams our desires and above all our creativity so I hope that this left you with, left you with some insight. Um, I'm speaking to you, you know, you're a creative slash counterculture independent thinker um, and you don't necessarily um, see things from a really kind of polarised view. It's not all about just being alone and it's not all about putting friends and people before everything else and our commitments before everything else. It's about doing things in a regulated kind of way with awareness. Um, and that's what I think this book does. It helps us to become more aware of the things that actually impact how 
to be alone. Let me know your thoughts. You know what to do. Jump in the comments wherever you are or contact me on my socials. I'm Serena Hussain. This is the Life Vocabulary Podcast. Check out How to Be Alone if you want to and even if you don't by Lane Moore.